Thank you, Jess, very much indeed. Uh, do take a seat, everybody. You need a copy of the green notes that say week two on the top. I have a spare copy in my hand for anyone that didn't pick it up on the way in. Who would like one? There we are. There we go, Bill. The others are at the back. Uh, so just pick one up at the back. Uh, the packs from last week are also there, which have in them week one's notes and the plan of the course and the Christian birthright card. I love that Christian birthright card with all these promises to lean into. And I hope that some of those have been particularly significant to you during the week. And you'll get a chance to share that in the small groups later on. Uh, so last week focused on the fact that we are made in God's image. And he has a plan for us, an original design for each one of us. Uh, this week we are going to look at how that image was spoilt. Uh, what's called the fall, which is a real bit of understatement. The great tragedy of Genesis 3 and how we can uh, cooperate with God in his redeeming work through repentance and faith. And we're going to read the whole of Genesis 3. Uh, all the other scriptures are on the sheets for us to stop us having to turn through the Bibles a lot. But Judith is going to read for us Genesis chapter 3, and the words will go on the screen. <laughs> okay, so it's Genesis chapter 3. And that's on page five if you do have a Bible, otherwise it's on the screen. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, we may eat from the fruit, sorry, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the snake deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the snake, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. 
And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Judith. As I say, all the other scriptures we'll look at are on the sheets for us, easily laid out. So God's made us in his image, and the evil one is determined to wreck that and to foster rebellion against God, and he is still determined to do that and still determined to spoil us, to stop us entering into the inheritance that God has for us as much as he can. And his tactics have not changed down the years, because they don't really need to. We keep falling for the same things uh, that uh, men and women have fallen for right down the years. So four here in the beginning of the notes, the devil tempts them to doubt God's word. Did God really say you can't eat from any of these trees? Now, of course, God hadn't said that. He'd said you can eat from any of these trees you like, but not that one. That one is there as a reminder that God is God, and they are not, and there are boundaries to their freedom. They're to live in God's world his way and do it his way. But this tremendous, uh, huge amount they can enter into, the Garden of Eden is not a sort of English country garden. It's more like a huge ranch uh, that, is, that is vast, an enormous amount to explore. And the snake comes along and did God say you couldn't eat any of this? Isn't, isn't God a spoil sport? He's made all this and you can't enter in, you can't have that. What a spoil sport he is. Now it's a lie. But the evil one still whispers that in our ears today. Oh, take Jesus seriously and it'll spoil your life. Start obeying scripture fully and it'll really spoil your life. And that, that he tempts us to doubt uh, God's word. What's God really said? No, God can't really mean that. He lies to us, and he still does that. He tempts us to doubt God's goodness. Uh, he says that God's a spoil sport, essentially. He doesn't want you. This is, look, at the tr look at this fruit. It's good to eat. It tastes good, too. And your eyes will be opened, and God really wants to spoil. Uh, you can't have that. Isn't he a spoil sport? God is good, and he knows that there are some things that are better for us not to know. It's like if you've uh, raised any children or been a teacher or a parent or anything like that. You know that there are some things when children are young, it's better for them not to know. it. Once they know it, they can't not unknow it. It's, it's difficult. And, it, and God said, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not for you. Now the devil was half right. Their eyes would be opened, but he was half lying as well because God was good and it was better for them just to trust God and enjoy God's world than no more than they could cope with. The devil tempts them to, to doubt God's truthfulness. God said to them, you can eat any of this you like, not that one. When you eat of that, in that day you will die. And the devil says, you won't die. <laughs> Your eyes will be opened. And again, it's a half-truth, because they started dying spiritually right then. Their relationship with God was spoiled. And physical death set in. Uh, death is not originally part of God's good creation. Uh, but physical death started setting in then, and we all die physically now. Uh, but once we sin and we're cut off from God, we're, there's spiritual death setting in. Uh, the devil tempts them to doubt God's otherness. God is God, and we are not. But he says, you'll be like God. This is a very modern temptation. Man come of age, uh, that we can, um, men and women come of age now, uh, that we will be the same as God. We can make our own rules up. And these are the same temptations the devil falls for the whole way. He appeals to our pride. He tempts us to doubt God's word, his goodness, his truthfulness, his otherness. And the same temptations come again and again to us today. And it's so easy to fall for them. And the effects of falling for temptation, falling for these lies, are the same today as they were then. Shame. They, they realized they were naked and they started the big cover-up. 
uh, with fig leaves. I love the fact that God still cares for them. Uh, he makes clothes out of animal skins for them. Interesting, so animals had to die for them uh, at this point. Uh, but they start the cover-up, and we all know what the cover-up is about. Uh, there are bits that are deep inside us we don't want anybody to know about. There are bits we... we are. The more Jesus sets us free, the more we're happy for people to see who we are, the more we become who we're made to be. There's always some things that we, we cover up, uh, we feel ashamed. Uh, we're afraid when we disobey God, we fear. Uh, so the man and the woman, God comes looking for them for his evening stroll in the garden, in the cool of the day. I love that, them walking with God. And they hide. Why did you hide? Because we were afraid. And we start being afraid of God who is good and who loves us. Uh, they start blaming each other. Adam, what have you done, says the Lord. And he says, it was the woman, the woman you put here with me. This is <laughs> now, when I've read this for years, I thought that what had happened was that Adam was out looking after the giraffes or something or naming the elephants or whatever he was doing. And the serpent came up to Eve on her own and said, look at this fruit. This is really good. This and, that. and he tempts her and she falls for it. And then Adam comes home and she says, look what I've got and gives it to him. But it doesn't say that. It says the man was with her as this happened. And in a typical male temptation, he's abdicated his responsibility uh, and said, whatever you say, dear. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, but he blamed, thank you, Sheila, for that. I enjoyed that. Uh, but he blames the woman. And then the woman, God asks the woman what's going on, and the woman blames the snake. And as the terrible old preaching joke had it, the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> but blame comes in, and we start doing that. And a strain in the relationship is there. This perfect first marriage is now spoiled. And we know what the strain in the relationship between the sexes is like. And if you're married, you know how easily that strain comes in. And then judgment comes. God, of course, cannot allow his authority to be usurped and just say, well, that's fine, it doesn't really matter. Because, of course, it does matter. So there's judgment. There's a curse comes in. The effect of this with men and women rebelling against God, somehow we and creation all hang together and creation uh, goes into fall as well. The ground is cursed and work is never all it's cracked up to be. You know, you get this new job and you think how wonderful it's going to be, but of course it's not perfect because no job ever is, right from Genesis 3 onwards. Uh, the effects in the pain of childbirth, uh, the effects in death coming, there's judgment comes in. It's everything is spoiled. Nothing in creation is untouched by this. So in summary of what the evil one did and loves to do is he wants us to rebel and disobey God. Uh, there's a verse in 1 Samuel, I've put in the notes here, which hit me like a, a freight train when I first heard it uh, when I was on a gap year after university. I was 21, so 34 years ago, I heard a talk with this verse. Rebellion is like the sin of divination or witchcraft. Arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you as king. This is God's word to King Saul who disobeyed. Now, I think lots of us in growing up have prided ourselves as a little bit of, a, bit of a rebel against this. Or that. And this word rebellion is like witchcraft. I thought, well, how is that? How does that work? And the speaker I heard said, imagine... An old city, actually Warwick would be a good example, with an old city wall, big city wall and gates there. When there's a threat and an attack from outside, everyone comes in the city, the gates are shut, and the wall is there protecting everybody. Now, God has made this world with authority structures, families, schools, workplaces, nations. When people rebel against God's word, it has the effect of letting the enemy in. Now, witchcraft is a bit like opening the front gates of the city to the evil one and saying, come on in. But rebellion is like opening a back gate in the city wall. But the evil one still gets in. And either way, the enemy gets into something that God has created to be good and pure and holy. So rebellion against God's word is really serious because it opens the place for the evil one to get access. Uh, it did that right at the beginning. It does that still if we disobey God's word. And that's what the evil one wants us to do, to stop us entering into 
who God's made us to be, to stop us being restored fully to our full potential. Now, that, of course, is the bad news. And uh, there's a talk coming up a little bit later in Living Free where we look at living in two realms. We live in a realm that's thoroughly spiritual as well as physical. Uh, The evil one and the forces of darkness are alive and well. They're not nearly as powerful as God uh, and the forces of light, but we're caught up in this cosmic battle. It's going on all around us. Uh, And we'll have an evening focusing on living in the physical realm and the spiritual realm. The glorious good news, of course, this section two, is that Jesus has come to set us free from all of this. We know he's come to redeem us, to forgive us, uh, and that has so many aspects to it. So put down a few of them here. He came to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The devil's work is destruction. Jesus destroys his work to set us free, to enter into who God's made us to be. Uh, And supremely, he did that on the cross. Uh, Jesus took the curse for us, that curse that came in in Genesis 3. If you read to the end of the book, uh, Revelation 22, there's this great multitude with God in the new heaven and new earth, the sort of garden city, the best of everything. The tree of life is there, and it says there is no more curse. So you could ask, well, what happened to the curse? If it comes in in the beginning of the Bible and it's gone by the end of the Bible. And there in the middle, in Galatians 3, we read this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. When Jesus died on that cross, he took the full weight of God's wrath on him for my sin and yours and everybody else's, the whole sin of the world. The curse came on him fully. Uh, So much so he was cut off from the Father by the sin and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he took that for us so we could be set free from it. Uh, We enter into this freedom, this forgiveness, this being set free from the curse by repentance and faith. All of this Uh, I'm trusting it's fairly familiar. We're going quite quickly. Uh, If this is news to you, then let's have a more leisurely chat at another time. We enter into this by repentance and faith. So Jesus comes preaching the gospel, Mark 1, 14 and 15, after John the Baptist was put in prison. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is at hand, has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Uh, This is how we enter into or back into God's kingdom. His kingdom which will last for all eternity. Uh, When we sin and rebel against God, we're cut out from that, cut off from that. When we come back to Jesus, when we repent of our sin, uh, when we put our trust in him, when we bow the knee to Jesus as Lord, we are forgiven, we're adopted into his family. Uh, And as it puts it here in Colossians, he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, uh, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We're in a new kingdom. The old kingdom has no more power over us. And in Colossians 2, this verse at the bottom of the page, uh, we read that we continue to follow Jesus the same way. We start by repentance and faith. We continue to follow Jesus by repentance and faith. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. We start by repentance and faith. So just as you start, so you continue. So if we are to resist the evil one's work, trying to get us to rebel and disobey, If we've fallen for that, we get restored again by repentance and faith. We become a Christian, first of all, by a a whole life repentance and faith. We turn away from going our own way. We put our trust in Jesus. But when God convicts us of something we get wrong, maybe with our money or an unforgiveness or something, we repent of that and then we express our trust in Jesus and we're set free from that. Uh, and I've just underlined in my notes this overflowing with thankfulness as well. One of the keys to the Christian life is gratitude. When we stop being grateful 
uh, we slowly succumb for the British disease of whinging about everything. The Australians know us as whinging poms because we're, we're really good at complaining and grumbling like the old Israelites were. Uh, we are to overflow with thanksgiving. There's something of that attitude of gratitude that keeps us uh, looking to the Lord. And it's one of the things that comes as we're filled with the Spirit, as we've seen on Sundays in Ephesians. Anyway, those are the first two points. And we're going to now tease out repentance in a little more uh, length. Uh, the devil wants us to rebel. Jesus makes it possible for us to be set free. And we enter into that through repentance and faith. So section three, which lasts for the rest of the talk, and the rest of the notes are all about this. This framework that we call the five R's is a really good way to unpack the different stages of what's involved in repentance and faith. They're simple steps just breaking down how do we repent, how do we put our trust in Jesus, what does that look like so that we can be set free of all this enemy influence in our lives, free to become who he's made us to be more and more. Uh, the first R is to recognize our sin, to recognize there's stuff we need to repent of. If we're not aware of anything wrong, we're not going to repent of it. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you will know how God convicts you of stuff that's wrong, and you will not be under any illusions that you're perfect. Uh, there's stuff we need to deal with. Uh, we, re we need to recognize this. Uh, what lies have we believed about God? How, how have we allowed the evil one influence? I mean, lots of Christians who think, oh, I'm no good. But the Bible tells us you're made in God's image. That Jesus died for you. So to say I'm no good is to believe a lie. That lie may have come in uh, in childhood, you may have been told that again and again and again and again and again. But it's a lie, and we need to deal with it. And we can deal with it, uh, as we can with anywhere where we've given the enemy a foothold. Where have we been disobedient to God? Where have we rebelled? Where, where have we held on to grudges and not done forgiveness? Where have we not been generous and trusting God with our resources? Where have we given the devil a little foothold in our life? Uh, this verse from Ephesians 4, verse 27, uh, the context is, don't be angry, don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, deal with your anger before bedtime. And don't give the devil a foothold. Uh, if something happens to us that's bad, then there is an element of righteous anger. We're, we're right to be angry, that was bad, it shouldn't have happened. But most of our reactions are usually ungodly, and we lash out or we get more afraid, or we get angry back, or we don't forgive. And if we don't deal with it, it just slowly builds up and builds up and gives the devil a foothold. The word in, in Ephesians 4 is a topos. Uh, topography is all about place. There's a, it actually gives him a, a real, real place in our lives. And we need to get rid of that. Uh, so the first, before we can get rid of it, we need to recognize what those things are. So it's authentic Christian prayer to pray with Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know me. See if there's any offensive way in me. Show me what's wrong, and then I can deal with it. Uh, now, when God shows up and recognizes, he tends to put his finger on the thing we need to deal with. It's called conviction. We realize that's the thing we need to deal with now. From time to time, we get a bit muddled up with all this, uh, because if you just feel blanket hopeless, that's probably not the Lord's conviction. That's probably the evil one's condemnation. If he realizes that we are going to be serious about repentance, he will try and get us to be so overwhelmed with our sin that we almost give up. And if you're feeling hopeless about everything, that's not the way God does it. He, he puts his finger on one thing at a time. And if you're feeling under condemnation, there is no condemnation, Romans 8. We're set free. We're forgiven. Uh, and we need to ask the Holy Spirit to convict us of what's wrong. And we need to resist the evil one. We'll come on to that a bit later uh, in the notes. John chapter 3 uh, talks about everyone who does evil hates the light and won't come to the light for fear his deeds are exposed. But everyone who lives by the truth comes into the light so it may be seen plainly that what he's done has been done through God. We want to come to the light. Now, the light is uncomfortable when it shows up the sin in our lives, but 
it shows us what needs dealing with. Uh, and then we can deal with it. So how does that actually happen? How does God convict us of our sin? How do we come to recognize it? Well, it comes in all sorts of ways. It may be just through our conscience. We're sensitive. We know something's wrong or God's revealed it to us. John 16, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Uh, so that, that can happen. Uh, sometimes it comes through other people. I don't like this one so much as when, when the Holy Spirit does it. It's uncomfortable when the Holy Spirit points things out. When other people come out to me and point out my sin, I don't like that so much. So you get uh, Paul and Peter in Galatians. Uh, Paul said, when Kephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, Paul was right, but I don't think Peter liked it very much. Uh, but Peter realized Paul was right and repented. In Galatians 6, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves so you won't be tempted. There are one or two people around the church who love going out, pointing out everybody else's sin. That's not very healthy. But when you're in a small group with people, we give people permission to sort of share life a bit, and we can encourage each other and we know each other, then we have kind of a duty if we see someone going astray, to gently point that out. Uh, and uh, if someone does point something out to you, try to be grateful and thank them for it. It's not usually my first reaction, <laughs> I have to say. Um, if you want to point something out to me, if you say four nice things first, I find it easier to hear. Uh, but that's just, that's just the way I'm wired. But who has permission to speak into your life? If nobody does, you may be missing out on recognizing some of what uh, is done, uh, what needs to be done. Uh, and if people come and criticize you, half of it may be nonsense, but usually there's a kernel of truth to go away and reflect on before God and say, Lord, is there any truth in this? Show me what's wrong so I can repent of it. Uh, so it may come directly by the Lord. It may come through other people pointing it out. Sometimes it comes through the Lord revealing something to someone else, as happened with King David, who, uh, you know, the story had committed adultery with Bathsheba, had had her, her husband murdered, and God convicted him through the prophet Nathan. And Nathan very bravely went to King David and told this story of the rich man who stole the sheep off the poor man and killed it. And David was incensed and said, that man shall die. And Nathan said, you are the man. Now, the great thing about King David was that he then went, he acknowledged it and repented straight away. And the Bible says David was a man after God's heart, despite all the terrible things he did. But when he was convicted of sin... He didn't cover up anymore. He repented and he dealt, he dealt with it. Uh, and there are other things in that. Jesus to the Samaritan woman gets her interest and then says, go and call your husband. And she says, I haven't got one. He says, no, you've got quite a checkered history. You may want, we may need to deal with it. Uh, but she comes back. She, she goes with it. We need to be careful against a, a sin reaction, it says here in the notes. When something's pointed out, don't just sinfully resist it. We're all tempted to do that. We need to accept full responsibility for our sin. We need to recognize it. We need to acknowledge its sin. And the way to dealing with it, first of all, is to taking responsibility for it, to recognize it and say, no, I need to deal with this. Uh, I remember praying with some folks a few years ago about something I was struggling with, where I was struggling to trust God in an area of life. And they got me to confess it as sin. They said, Jonathan, really this is unbelief which is sinful. And they got me to pray, Lord, I confess my unbelief to you. And actually, that was very releasing. But mostly, if we say, well, I'm struggling to trust God in this, people say, oh, poor you, there, 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 have another cup of tea and have a hug and poor you. Actually, that is unbelief and it's sin and we need to deal with it. Uh, so we need to own up to it. However it comes, we resist the revelation of our sin because we're proud because we're afraid of being exposed, because we don't trust God, uh, because we want to stay in control of our lives, and this feels a, a bit hairy, uh, and for any number of other reasons. But we'll never make progress unless we allow God to point out to us and recognize what needs dealing with. So key attitudes over the page of humility, 
Let's be humble before the Lord. Let's be courageous. Let's say, okay, Lord, let's deal with this stuff. And let's pursue God's glory in our lives. Lord, I want to be the best I can be for you, so let's deal with this. Uh, one thing at a time. The Lord is very patient. Um, it's been 37 years since I was 18 and bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord. And as you know, I'm a long, long, long way away from the finished product. <laughs> There's an awful lot that's wrong. He's been very patient with me. Uh, I'm not what I should be. And I'm certainly not what I will be. But by God's grace, I'm not what I was. And there's some progress. And uh, I hope each of you can see that as well. So we need to recognize it. This is the first thing. Uh, if you are totally unaware of anything in your life, just invite some people to speak into it. I'm sure they can see it, even if you can't. Once you, those of you, uh, gentlemen, if you have a wife, you probably know exactly what's going on. If you've got close friends, I find... Uh, I find it really difficult to point out the things to Juliet that aren't right. She finds it quite easy to point the things out to me. I don't know how that works, but she's really good at it. <laughs> anyway, and it's usually a raising of the eyebrow, and I, I, I get it. Anyway, uh, we all need people to speak into our life. Uh, when we recognize, then we repent. Now, what is repentance? Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. Literally, the Greek word metanoia means to change your mind about this. And we change our mind and bring it into line with God. We acknowledge that this is sin. It's an about turn in our thinking. Uh, so just visually, if God's way is that way and evil is that way, then sin is somewhere over here. And when I recognize it's sinful, I need to turn around and start going the right way. In my mind, I need to acknowledge that's wrong and I need to deal with it. So Romans 12, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our thinking is key in this. We need to acknowledge sin as sin. We need to reclaim repentance as a wonderful gift of God. Repentance is the way God has made it possible for us to be set free of this stuff. So repentance is good news. I think most of us feel that repentance is all a bit heavy. So if someone says, I just don't really believe I've got any worth, and I say, well, you need to repent because you're believing a lie, that sounds a bit harsh. If it's the first thing I say, it is a bit harsh. But the truth is, this person has believed a lie that they're no good when God has made them in his image. And the way to dealing with the lie is to repent of believing it. Uh, and that's what will set them free. So just saying, poor you, let me sort of smother you with love, but not actually get you to repent, that will never set them free. Now, obviously, we need to give the love first, the, the warmth, but then we need to love them enough to help them repent of the lie. Repentance is turning back to God. I just did that and aligning yourself with the truth. And repentance breaks the enemy's hold on us. Love this, Colossians 2, 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus has paid for our sin, and we enter into that freedom by repenting and trusting him. So it breaks the power. Uh, the blood of Jesus has tremendous power to wash us clean from all our sin. Uh, that verse in Romans 3. Uh, I love Billy Graham used to say, um, when he was preaching sometimes, he says, you know, I can do something that God can't do. And we all think, well, that's a bit of a bold claim. And he says, I can remember my sins. <laughs> but God's word says that we're forgiven and he remembers them no more. So it's like on a beach, you go to the beach and you dig with the children or the grandchildren and you make your whatever it is, tide fight or bull run or whatever or boat. And the tide comes in and you go back the next day and there is no sign of it. It's gone. Jesus has paid for our sin, and when we repent, it's gone. It's gone. Uh, stories often told of someone like a little boy who breaks his mum's vase and says, I'm so sorry, mummy, and she's gracious and says, never mind, darling, I forgive you, and puts it in the bin. Let's forget it. 
And then he goes out and gets the vase out of the bin and comes back and says, I'm so sorry, mummy, I broke your vase. And she said, look, I've forgiven you. Let's do let's Sometimes we keep coming back to God, repenting of the same thing when it's forgiven. God can't remember it. He washes us clean. And we enter into that through repentance. And repentance has to include forgiving the injustices against us, the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So for relatively small things, that should be a straightforward transaction. Where we've been sinned against deeply, this is a process that may take quite a lot of time. uh, And we need to walk through that. But we'll never be fully set free till we've forgiven those who hurt us. Not to forgive them is like drinking the poison and hoping they die. It's just holding on to unforgiveness poisons us. We have to to forgive. As we God has forgiven us, so we forgive others. I often say it like this visually. If I'm holding on to a grudge, then my hands aren't open to receive God's forgiveness. For me, I need to release in order to receive. The, the two go together. But if there's something major in your life, you probably need someone to walk through that with you. And it's layers, like the onion thing. There's layers of forgiveness we need to do. But for a relatively straightforward thing, we need to forgive them. We need to drop it, to let it go. Uh, so recognize our sin ask the holy spirit to convict us that's the best way Uh, if we're not open to that others will probably do it go with it Um, repent of your sin Uh, then the third r is to receive two things we receive we receive god's forgiveness so this sometimes takes some time lord thank you that you forgive me thank you that you died on the cross for all my sin including that one Uh, If we confess our sins, John says, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here's the bit about condemnation I mentioned earlier. If we're feeling condemned, as if the evil one's got blanket condemnation on us, uh, that just, we just wind up exhausted. We need to rebuke the evil one. Um, But when God convicts us of something, we repent of it and it's done. We need to receive forgiveness and we need to receive a fresh filling of God's Holy Spirit. We're told to be filled with the Spirit continually. Now, to be full up with the Spirit, we have to empty ourselves of the bad stuff first. I've reflected quite a lot recently. The church is always saying, fill us up with the Spirit, and not much difference seems to happen. I think it's because we're so full of muck that there's not a lot of room to get much Holy Spirit in. As we empty ourselves, of the muck. There's more room for God to fill us up and more difference will come. So every time you empty a bit out through repentance, ask God to fill you up afresh with his spirit. Go on being filled. Uh, And Luke 11, Jesus says, every time we pray that prayer, God does it. He loves to fill. So that is the R, receive. The fourth bit of it, and I think often that's where we've stopped. I think as I was growing up, repentance was about saying sorry for what I've done, receiving God's forgiveness. And that was... But these two extra steps really help to cement this process in. Uh, Rebuke. This is rebuking the evil one, the verse at the bottom of the page. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He is the one who wants to feed lies into us. He is the one who tries to tempt us to doubt God's goodness. He is the one that wants us to rebel. And we need to resist him. And if we don't resist him, we'll probably go back to making the same mistakes again and again and again. And we're told when we resist the evil one, he will flee. Uh, So this is quite energizing, actually, to say, um, Lord, I'm so sorry uh, for lashing out in anger when that happened. Please forgive me. I forgive the person who did that that I reacted to. Please fill me afresh with your spirit. And then I rebuke you, forces of evil or the devil. You have no place in me. I want to do forgiveness. I don't want to lash out in anger. Be gone. It's it's, it's, it's potent stuff. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 Be alert and sober. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. 
Now, if lions are coming up on their prey, they don't roar. <laughs> They're stealthy. They roar to make you jump. Uh, there's a lovely picture in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress of uh, the hero Christian making his way along the pathway to the celestial city. If you've never read it, brilliant. And he has to negotiate all the things we have to negotiate. Uh, doubting castle and the slough of despond and all these things. There comes a point where he sees in the road ahead of him there are two lions, one on either side of the path, and he thinks, how on earth am I going to get past them? And as he gets closer, he sees that they're chained and they can't reach the pathway. And as he stays on God's road, they can't touch him. They can roar, they can make him jump, but they can't actually touch him. And we are to rebuke the evil one. His power is limited. He is powerful, but God is far, 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 far more powerful. Uh, God is infinite, the devil is created. There's an infinite difference between them. But we have to be strong in the Lord. This wonderful passage from Ephesians 6, and put our armor on. Uh, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We don't fight against people but against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. So the devil is going to try and get us to fall again, to sin again, the same old thing. We recognize it, we repent of it, we receive forgiveness, we receive fresh filling of the Spirit. If you're struggling with it, get people to pray with you. There's a tremendous power in that, where two or three are gathered together, uh, two and three agree and stuff, it will be done for you, says Jesus. And we resist the evil one, and we put all our armor on, not most of it. Do you know the um, Greek myth of Achilles? Uh, the, the Greek myth of Achilles, his, his mother was a goddess, and she wanted him to protect him from all harm. Uh, so she picked him up by the ankle and dipped him in the river Styx, which was meant to protect him from all weapons. Uh, but, of course, the bit where she was holding him by the ankle didn't get protected. And so he, he got done in for in this Greek myth with a, uh, a javelin in his heel, Achilles' heel. Don't leave an Achilles' heel there. We need, we, God gives us all the armor we need, uh, the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the shield of faith and the sword of spirit and the gospel boots. We need it all. And we don't give any room for you. And we'll think more about that when we look at the whole two realms we live in. Uh, the final R is to replace. And I think this is where we really exercise our faith. We, we walk out the opposite spirit. Uh, one of the lessons I'm learning in life, having seen people dealing with the same things again and again and again, is that if you don't replace it with the opposite thing, you often go back again. And we need to replace whatever we've sinned in area in with the positive equivalent. Uh, so just this passage from Ephesians 4 that we were looking at just a week or two ago on Sundays is a fantastic passage, loads of illustrations. You were taught with respect to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. We put off the old way, we repent of it, we, get, we receive forgiveness, we receive the filling of the Spirit, we rebuke the evil. But we then need to put on the new self. Therefore, his first example, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. You don't just stop lying, you start speaking truth. Uh, second example uh, has... Uh, in your anger, do not sin, or that comes out at the bottom. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger right at the bottom. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. In between them, you get that bit, those who've been stealing must steal no longer but must work. So you don't just stop stealing, you start earning. And if you can't earn, do some voluntary stuff. You come in the opposite spirit. Uh, you get rid of unwholesome talk coming out of your mouths. You don't just shut up and say nothing. Start speaking what is helpful and builds people up. If you're someone who's always been good at criticizing but finds it really hard to say well done, make yourself do it. <laughs> Write a card and say well done, say thank you. You come in the opposite spirit to it. Those of you who were at Man Up a couple of weeks ago, Carl Beach telling this tremendous example 
of a uh, time he was away uh, working in Europe and his wife phoned up in a real tiz because the neighbour had come round and had really shouted at her and been vile to her uh, about something that was, they were building in their garden. And Carl said, I got home, I parked my car at the back of the house, which where the, he parked it, I walked through the house and my wife said, where are you going? He said, I'm going straight out to sort this neighbour out. <laughs> and on the way through, uh, she said, I think she said, that doesn't sound very loving. And he just paused and he got convicted by the spirit and he recognised that's probably sin, isn't it? And he prayed, Lord, what should I do? And God put an idea in his mind. He said to his wife, have you got any cakes in the house? And he said, well, I've just got those pink fondant fancies. And Carl said, I love pink fondant fancies. Uh, he took the fondant fancies round and knocked on the neighbor's door. And the neighbor came to the door, opened it, ready for a fight. And Carl said, I gather you've had a chat with my wife. I wonder how you are. Could we come in and have a cup of tea? I brought you some cakes. And he just came in the opposite spirit. And the neighbor started saying how his wife was ill and this was going wrong. And it, someone's angry, it's come in the opposite spirit, as it says down the bottom. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every kind of malice. Be kind and compassionate one to another, forgiving each other. Uh, I said on Sunday, church in Ephesus must have been so interesting. They were lying to each other, they were stealing from each other, they were brawling. I've never had to tell St. Paul's to stop brawling. That's something. Weird. But there are things we have to stop doing and we need to lean into. Uh, as we come into land, why does repentance seem ineffective at times? Repentance can seem fleeting and short-lived when the vacuum principle is in effect. We take something out of our lives, but we don't replace it with the truth or obedience that God requires us to live in. So, for example, if you take your car to be mended and they remove a vital but faulty part and don't replace it with a working one, there's not much point taking the car in. If we've believed a lie, we repent of believing the lie, and we start believing the truth. So there may be something on that birthright card that you've looked through where God's really spoken to you about something. I love that song we sang, I am who you say I am. Not all the lies that were spoken over me as a child that you'll never amount to anything or you'll be hopeless or you're no good. That's not the truth. We repent of that. We say, I'm so sorry, Lord, I've believed that. We receive forgiveness. We receive the Spirit. We rebuke the evil one. I rebuke you, Satan. It is not true that I'm no good. And you start meditating every day on the fact that you are a child of God. You choose to replace it until it's wired into you. And this is, these steps, they take time, particularly the deeper the issue, the more it takes time to work out. Uh, but if we're serious about growing into who God's made us to be, we need to be serious about the repentance. And it is wonderfully good news. Repentance is good news, and it's the way to set us free. So... Congratulations, that was a long bit of material, three quarters of an hour, you've done really well. Um, give yourselves a pat on the back. Uh, we're going to just have a, a stretch, you can get, grab another drink, and we'll go into the groups. In the groups, your group work that's suggested for you tonight, obviously, <laughs> you are of age, you can talk about whatever you want, but, um, and I can't stop you, uh, but what's recommended, and certainly what Adam's put here for us, so we, that's a good enough reason to do it is first of all, share with each other some, one thing from the Christian birthright card. What was the most significant thing you read? If it was really significant, you may even find as you share it, your lips are a bit wobbly. Uh, when we share something that's only mildly significant, we can say it. So let me give you an example. Um, our son Josh who's finished his A-levels, is at home for a term, having another go at Oxford entrance, uh, and then he's off to Canada. Uh, he's working in Argos and Deliveroo. If you order by Deliveroo, you might get Josh. Uh, come January, as he leaves, that will be the moment for us of the empty nest, as it were. That will be the moment, because he'll be away for five months. And I've been fairly flippant about this, and say, oh, bring it on, come on. <laughs> But I was speaking with my spiritual director being more humble. And I started, I found myself saying, I'm really going to miss him. And, it, and actually I found my lip wobbling a bit. You know when you say something that goes quite to the core, your lip starts wobbling. If one of those spiritual birthright card things, you start to say it's a little bit wobbly, don't stop. That's the one you need to say. Declaring it with your mouth 
however wobbly the voice, has a tremendous power. If you believe in your heart and declare with your lips, said the scripture, just sharing that and praying it in for each other. So share one thing. And then just go through the five R's. They're there on the back. Re recognize, repent, receive, rebuke, replace. And just check that you understand what that's about, just briefly. So if anyone's got any questions, sorry, he was going on far too long, and I'd nodded off for a bit. Can you just run that bit past me again? That's absolutely fine in the groups. Just work through that. And then pray for each other. You might want to, if time's short, just split into twos and just pray for each other. Uh, Lord, pray in the Christian birthright card truth. Help Humphrey know that he is your child and you love him. Whatever it is, the, the one thing. Uh, okay, so here endeth, <laughs> here endeth the long talk tonight. I'm not sure any of them are as long as that. Uh, perhaps Adam's just kept out the way because he knows I go on a bit on this one. Let's just commit this to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Lord, we thank you that you have made a way for us to be set free, not just from the penalty of sin that we're forgiven, but set free from the effects of it in our lives. And we long to be set free of these things that rob us of our Christian birthright, of our inheritance in you, these things that stop us being the men and women you've made us to be. Pour your spirit down on every group discussion as people share the truth that's been important, as folks talk together about these steps and, and understand them. And we pray you'd help us to see repentance as wonderfully good news because it's the gateway to freedom. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have paid the price for our freedom. So give us grace to enter into it. And we ask it in your great name. Amen. Uh, and then there is a bit of homework for you as well to work through one of those areas on your own, but I think that's quite clear. Thank you so much. Um, into the groups. If you're new here tonight and you're not part of a small group, we'll link you in with one of the groups. I'll pop to the back by the sound desk. Just come and ask where you go, and I'll point you in a direction.